Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Friday, February 24, 2023. It's about 1.50 in the afternoon here on the east coast of the United States. Matt uh, Van Dyke uh, of the Sons of Liberty International joins us live from Kiev. Matt, uh, it's a pleasure. Welcome here. So since last we spoke, Kiev was the recipient of a surprise visit by uh, President Joe Biden uh, and uh, the Russian President uh, Putin gave an internationally televised and scrutinized speech. Let, let's start uh, with President uh, Biden. Um, aside from the $2 billion in military hardware, which he said is on its way, what, if anything, did he bring? What good, if anything, did he produce by his surprise visit to uh, President Zelensky in Kiev? Well, it was a very clear sign to everyone that the United States is committed to this fight. The president's not going to visit an area that they intend later to lose a, to lose a war. So I think it was a signal to European partners, a signal to Ukrainians, and importantly, a signal to Russia that the United States is committed to this fight and will do whatever it takes to win. Um, you know, the United States keeps uh, promising to deliver a, a military equipment, and we know that it's delivered a lot. We also know that they, they don't uh, deliver it with Fox or CNN cameras watching. But yesterday, the Secretary of the Army said the tanks won't arrive for another year. Another year. Two questions. Did you expect it would take that long for the tanks? Did the Ukrainians expect it, if you know? And who even knows if there'll be a war a year from now? What do you say? Well, I was expecting summer. That was what was discussed before publicly. But, you know, I mean, Ukraine does have a lot of tanks. Uh, they're getting Leopard tanks. Uh, they're getting Challengers. They're, they don't need the Abrams right now. Uh, it's certainly helpful. But the war can be won without them. There would definitely still be a war in a year. Uh, the pace of the war is going to slow down. Um, you know, whereas this is going to be a long haul. It's going to be a couple more years, probably. Let me run a clip for you to that effect by a person uh, that we have on a lot, Jack Devine, retired CIA. <clears throat> when he was in the CIA, he was in charge of Russian monitoring Russian espionage in the U.S. and perpetrating American espionage, so to speak, against the Russians uh, in uh, Russia. He makes a similar argument to what you said, that this is a small part of a large uh, geopolitical machine and it may go on for a while. But by the way, Jack is viewed, Matt, no surprise to you, uh, by my audience, similarly to the way you are viewed. But the audience still likes to watch Jack and watch you. Here he is yesterday. 
you push until the Russians cease and desist. I don't believe there's peace, right? But I do think you'll reach a point where everyone's using up so much ammunition, so many soldiers have died, that you slow down the pace of war. No one wins. War could go on for a long time, but it will not go on for a long time at this level. And victory is not about Ukraine. It's the geopolitical risk of the world today, and it's the China, Russia, and their allies, the alliance against the West. If Russia fails to accomplish its goal, he will go. And that will change the geopolitical. There's bigger thing at play here than just the current day-to-day fighting. And I think there's a world that's going to be unstable if we allow Putin to go unchallenged. And I think we're doing a very good job of challenging. So that statement that Jack made was in response to a question from me about how do you define victory? And, and basically he said what he said, victory can't define it. It's probably going to be a stalemate. What do you think? You're there. You're on the ground. Jack, Jack's in New York. You, you, you have a good feel for this, Matt. Well, currently it is a stalemate. Um, the Russians have been trying to take Bakhmut for, well, really for several months, but very intensely uh, in the past several weeks. They're not making too much progress. Uh, I still believe Bakhmut will eventually fall, except this massive Russian offensive that People were predicting to occur by today. The one-year anniversary of the war has not occurred. It looks like the Russians don't have the logistics to support a massive offensive, and the forces that they've mobilized don't seem to have the will uh, or the capability to, to advance the way that the Russians would like. All right, expecting that you would say that, I uh, was in an email conversation with Colonel McGregor, who, while he disagrees with you on nearly everything, expresses his personal uh, respect for your uh, courage and your generosity and your charity. Uh, He argues that the the Russians are lining up their ammunition. They're a little low on ammunition, but the bodies are there in Russia. You're talking 300 to 500,000, and they'll be ready to commence the onslaught as soon as the the ammunition uh, is ready. But but I want to ask you about Bakhmut. Is this just, what is the significance of it? Would it be like, the Canadians taking Chicago? I mean, uh, the Mexicans taking Dallas? I mean, what is the significance of Bakhmut? Is it symbolic or substantive about who takes control of this city that most Americans had never heard of uh, before a year ago? It's almost entirely symbolic. Uh, it could serve as somewhat of a logistics hub, but really... It, it, Ukraine's been defending this for several months. A lot of lives have been lost. It's sort of become a a cause to rally the public around. Um, For Russia, it's a cause that they've also expended a lot of manpower, a lot of resources into winning it. They wanted to take it before the anniversary of the war for Putin to have something for his speech. But really, it's become symbolic. and It's unfortunate because it's a meat grinder. A lot of lives are being lost, a lot of Ukrainian lives that I believe would have been better utilized in a counteroffensive against Russia have been used to hold a city of, of relatively little strategic significance. Tell us a little bit more about what what you can tell us, of course, because I guess some of your work is uh, is needs to be secret, uh, about what Sons of Liberty International are actually doing on the ground. What did they do to the end of the day now in, in uh, Ukraine? What did they do today? What did they do yesterday? What did they do last week? What are they going to do tomorrow? Can you address that briefly? Right. Well, primarily we're a military training organization. So we provide uh, largely tactical training to Ukrainian forces. But lately we've been focusing on our EOD and demining program. Uh, So we're going to be traveling actually tomorrow 
to an area that has a lot of unexploded ordnance to, to do a survey and and see what can be done in that area. And then this week we'll be traveling uh, out to eastern Ukraine, I can't say where, uh, to do some work to clean up landmines, unexploded ordnance, uh, to some areas that the government needs to get into. So that's okay. really what we're focusing on at this time. Um, but we're going to ramp up the training, uh, the military training as well in the next few weeks. All right. When you say training and, and you characterize it as tactical training, uh, the are, are you saying that the Ukraine command structure permits American civilians, mainly military veterans, to enter the command structure and, be, structure, uh, and become uh, instructors of the Ukraine military, you actually teaching guys in uniform and with weapons, and if so, teaching them to do what? Uh, sometimes we do firearms training, but mostly what we do is teach them small unit tactics, uh, how to clear buildings, how to fight in urban combat, how to do defensive positions, how to assault an objective. Uh, really, the Ukrainian military is a, a lot different than the American military. There are a lot of different divisions within the military. Uh, some more independent than others. Some parts of the structure are almost militia-like. So various unit commanders will hear about us, will want to get training before their unit goes to deploy. They'll approach us. Uh, usually we'll go out to their site and do training with them directly uh, with the unit. And do these people understand English or do your people speak Ukrainian or both? We have our own translators. They also usually have translators and almost always a, a decent number of the trainees also speak enough English. Okay. Um, I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, uh, President Putin's speech, which was uh, covered internationally on television and, and is being scrutinized even today. The speech was uh, three days ago. I want to run uh, a clip which might raise your blood pressure a little bit, saying that we didn't start this, NATO did. Kiev regime provided artillery uh, and uh, aviation and other weapons to to attack Donbass back in 2014. In 2015, they attempted again to directly attack Donbass. They continued shelling terror in relation to citizens. All of this was completely against the documents that were accepted by the United Nations uh, Security Council. I would like to repeat, they started the war and we used the force in order to stop it. So this is um, the president of Russia making sort of a big picture argument that it, this is actually defensive what he's doing, that the war was started when Kiev began shelling Russian-speaking Ukrainians or Russian-speaking Russians in the Donbass. Take it from there. I mean, clearly, Kiev did not start the war. NATO did not start the war. Look, Russia's been expanding, trying to expand westwards since its founding. Russian defense is, is entirely predicated on creating a buffer zone between uh, Russian homeland and Europe. So this is really just a pattern of behavior that predates any conflict with Kiev, even predates NATO. Um, very clearly, Russia crossed the border. Russia crossed the border in 2014, seized Crimea, seized parts of Donbass. And now they've gone for even larger parts. It's really a speech that he gave for domestic consumption. I don't think anybody outside Russia really truly believes it. Uh, Ray, I'll play uh, one more uh, clip. Actually, before we play that uh, clip, 
Uh, I'm sure you are familiar, I assume you're familiar with statements made yesterday by Dmitry Medvedev, who's the former president of Russia and now is the uh, vice chair of the Russian equivalent of the American National Security Council, suggesting that uh, if Russia could, it would go all the way to the Polish border and might even push that border a little farther west. Now, I think that's really reckless for him to say that, of course, would legally invoke Article 5 under the NATO treaty. I'm just wondering, A, if you've heard it, and B, if people take it seriously and see why would he even say something like that? Yes, I heard it, and it contradicts Putin's speech that we just spoke about. Yes. If he's war, then, then why would Russia need to push all the way to Poland? Um, really, it just goes to show the problem here is not just Putin. The problem here is Russia. Russia has been expansionist. Russia has waged war on its neighbors long before Putin, before, before the Soviet Union, especially during the Soviet Union. Um, you know, this is a problem that's been building for a long time and a problem that the sooner it's addressed, the sooner it is better, not just for Europe, but for the world. Look, Russia supports dictators around the world, arms them, funds them, uh, provides them political cover in the UN Security Council. This is a problem that, that the sooner it's addressed, the better it is. And it's not just Putin. This is the Russian You're government. Here's um, uh, another clip from yesterday in which he announced, or, or it's three days ago, same speech, uh, in which he announced the suspension, not, not uh, rejection or termination, but the suspension of the nuclear arms treaty and refers to uh, the West's uh, intention to examine his nuclear facilities. It's a very Western phrase that he uses it's so Western that it almost sounds like he's saying it in English, if you listen. The theater of the absurd. In the beginning of February this year, there was a statement from the North Atlantic Alliance, factually demanding that Russia returns to the strategic arms treaty, as they call it, including allowing inspections of our nuclear defense facilities. I don't even know what to call it. It's a theater of the absurd. Regarding this, I have to say that Russia suspends its participation in the New START Treaty. Now, Gary, uh, very shrewdly, my producer, uh, raised the volume in Russia, and it almost sounded like he was saying theater of the absurd in a Russian accent. I don't even know if there's a, a Russian translation for it. But is it your argument that all of that is for domestic consumption? It's got to be for international consumption as well. Maybe the American intelligence community knew in advance what he was going to say. But now he said, forget about it. We're not going to abide this treaty. We may abide it in the future. We're not going to abide it. And don't even think about coming here to inspect what we have. Saber rattling for nuclear weapons, domestic political consumption by a guy that has an 82 percent approval rating domestically. What do you say? It's really all the above. And I mean, I don't think the United States really expected while we're waging a proxy war against Russia that we would be accessing the nuclear facilities and doing inspections. I mean, this is clearly a time that relations are not good between these two countries. Uh, they're not going to be good for a very long time. But really, we've seen from the state of Russia's military, Russia's economy, I don't think nuclear proliferation is really at the top of their agenda, something they can afford or something they can really progress in at this time anyway. I mean, we're so far ahead of them in every aspect of, of military, economy, culture, everything that really it's, uh, it's really a non-issue, I think. How, how dangerous is it for you and your colleagues to go east toward 
the the battleground areas. And, and when you do, do you travel in a military? Again, don't tell me what you don't want the world to know. You travel in a military convoy with with serious military and offensive weaponry to protect you. Uh, it depends on what area we're in. If we have an escort, large most of the country you can access with your own vehicle. There's plenty of checkpoints, plenty of security. The main danger is artillery. Uh, you know, there's artillery strikes all on the front line areas. You don't know when or where it's going to hit. Uh, that's really the main concern. Also, anywhere off the road, there's always a danger of landmines. So it's really things laying around and things that are hitting explosive-wise. It's really the problem, not not so much running into small arms fire from Russians. And what is like? Uh, last question: What is life like in Kiev? What is is there is there nightlife? Do people go to mass? Do they go to to museums? Are, are shops open? Do shops have their wares to sell? You know, it's actually quite inspiring. When I first came here a year ago in March, this was a complete ghost town, nothing except uh, military and police in the city, really, and some old people that have refused to leave. But now the city's back to life. Uh, even McDonald's and KFC are open. Uh, people do come back. <laughs> well, that's a good a sign, I guess. Yeah, that, I mean, that took a long time. Uh, KFC opened long before McDonald's did. But, but pretty much life is back to normal. There is a curfew. Uh, at 11 o'clock, which does restrict times of people going out. But, you know, pretty much everything is is open. Um, not everybody's returned to the city, but you wouldn't really know it from the traffic. Matt Van Dyke, Sons of Liberty International, uh, direct and live from Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. Thank you very much for joining us. We, we hope we can catch up with you next week. Thank you for having me. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.